0: Well, good morning again, everyone. My name is uh, Levi Pancake. I serve as one of the uh, elders on staff here. It's great to be worshiping uh, with you uh, this morning. Uh, We're going to continue our series. We're in week two of a four-week series titled The Christ of Christmas. And uh, last week, Bernie uh, taught on Jesus, uh, the Christ, the Anointed One, and uh, Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king. Today, we're going to consider Jesus Christ is truly God. And we're going to have a uh, jumping off passage. It's going to be John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 5, a well-known Passage John one one through five. While you're uh, turning there, um, I wanted to just make you aware of two brief things. First of all, if you're a covenant member, we have a covenant members meeting this evening at six thirty p.m. Uh, if you are a covenant member, we strongly uh, urge you, encourage you to participate in this. It's a family meeting. It's a time for us uh, to pray together, um, to discuss some things that are happening in the church, future things, a lot of exciting things. Uh, child care is provided, and so that's tonight um, in the parish house at White Building over there at 630. If you're not a covenant member, and would like to consider becoming a covenant member next Saturday. We have something called exploring membership, as the title implies. It's an opportunity to um, hear a little bit more about the church, explain why we have membership, why it's important, uh, etc. That's at 8 a.m. next Saturday morning, 8 to noon. And uh, if you're not available on a Saturday morning, you've tried to come to that the last few times, and we do this quarterly typically. If that hasn't worked out for you. Um, any of the elders would be happy to sit down with. Or you, you and your family uh, discuss that further. You can reach out to Michelle St. James, email info at missiochurch.org, uh, reach out to any of the elders, and would be happy to discuss that further. All right. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. to consider Your Word, to declare Your majesty and glory, to collectively saying You alone are worthy. So we pray now as we consider this truth, that Jesus Christ is truly God. I pray that You would incline our hearts open, our eyes, give us understanding, and please satisfy us with your word and with your promises. We love you, Lord, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, uh, Jesus is often recognized as a great moral example, an insightful teacher, a defender of the poor, humble servant, all those are great things. But when it comes to considering Jesus as truly God, uh, that's where there becomes this line of demarcation between Christianity and all other religions or all other spiritualities. Uh, In fact, uh, Jehovah Witnesses would say that Jesus never claimed to be God. Buddhism teaches that Jesus was not God, but rather an enlightened man like Buddha. A Christian sciences founder says that Jesus Christ is not God. But for those of us who are in Christ, this truth, that Jesus Christ is truly God, is a linchpin, is a pillar, is a foundation of the Christian faith. In fact, one cannot be a Christian and deny the deity of Christ. It would be like uh, being an NBA basketball player and denying that basketballs exist, or going on a road trip and denying that cars exist, or eating a meal and denying that food exists. It's incompatible. Those two can't line up, they don't go together, and no one who accepts the Bible as the infallible Word of God can entertain any doubt as to the deity of Christ. So as we consider in this Christmas season the Christ, the true Christ of Christmas, we must consider that Jesus Christ is truly God. And as we consider that truth, um, we're going to briefly talk about four things. We're going to talk about the names that are ascribed to Jesus that that points to His divinity. We're going to look at His attributes that point out His divinity. uh, Christ's works and the honor that He receives. And my prayer is that as we consider these truths, that uh, Christ, particularly in this season of hustle and bustle, and presents, and cooking, and all of that that goes on with the Christmas season, that Christ would become a a little bit bigger in our minds and in our hearts. It's kind of like Lucy's experience in uh, the Chronicles of of Narnia. I don't know if you ever read those books. Uh, I read the first five of them to my daughter, and then she began to wane and lose interest. But uh, in the second one, Prince Caspian, after Lucy meets Aslan again, the lion, the, the Christ figure in those books, after seeing him in the first book, she gazes into his large, wise face, and he says to her, "'Welcome, child.' Lucy says, "'Aslan, you're bigger.'" He answers, that is because you are older, little one. She asks, not because you are. He said, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. I love that illustration because if, as we grow older, um, if you've ever visited your old childhood home or a neighborhood or an old workplace or school or something, everything seems a little dingier, grayer, smaller. But as we consider Christ, as we grow bigger, more mature in Christ and consider these truths, may may Christ also become bigger as well, that we would worship Him and praise Him and see His majesty and His glory, see Him for who He really is. So the first thing I want to consider is the divine names that are ascribed to Jesus. In this jumping off passage in John 1, 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Word is referring to the second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. That, that word, word, Greek word, logos. And even right from the beginning, you see um, Christ's eternality. In the beginning was the Word. He was in the beginning with God. It, it points to a, a period in time that is eternity. It, it's well beyond anywhere we can go. The Word was with God. Okay, so the logos, Jesus Christ implies two distinct persons. The Word was with God. You have Word and you have God the Father. They're not the same, but they're equal and they belong together. And we're going to look at other passages as well. I mean, you have God the Father. He says that Jesus Christ is God. Uh, two, There's places I could go, but we're just going to do like... In our 25 minutes remaining, like a, just a brief, quick pass through through various texts in the Old Testament and the New Testament at, at uh, Jesus' baptism, Mark chapter one, the heavens tore open. Jesus comes out of the water, and uh, there's a, a audible voice from heaven it says, "This is my beloved Son, Son, with whom I am well pleased." Uh, Matthew 17, Transfiguration. Peter, James, John sees Jesus in all His glory. And a voice comes from heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now we're going to talk more in a moment about the title son of God and, and the significance of what uh, God the Father is saying when he says, this is my beloved son. Uh, you also have the demons. They say that Jesus is God. Uh, they call him the holy one. They call him the son of God. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus won't even let them speak because they knew that he was God the Christ, the Anointed One. Jesus says Jesus is God. I mean, repeatedly, emphatically, clearly, Jesus says this in a variety of ways. Now, if Jesus' claims about Himself were not true, He would have been guilty of violating the first commandment. Worship no other gods before the one true God. And would have been guilty of blasphemy And condemned to death. Now this is why the Jewish people, the religious leaders, wanted to put Jesus to death. Because he was making himself equal to God. Matthew 26, verses 63 through 65. You should see it on the screens. You can turn there now or or later when you get home if you want. Matthew 26, 63 through 65. This, This phony trial before the high priest, Jesus is on trial... And the high priest said to him, this is verse verse 63, I adjure you, by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Verse 64, Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. We just sang about that. second song we sang, worthy, worthy. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. By Jesus declaring that he was going to come from heaven, he was claiming to be equal with God. And the high priest tears his robes. He knows what he was saying. And he declared it blasphemy because he didn't believe what Jesus was saying about himself. That's why the other religious leaders wanted to kill him, making himself equal with God. John 8, 58 through 59. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. That should conjure up some image of the beginning the book of Exodus, when Moses asked God, who shall I say sent me? And God declares His name, I am. When Jesus says this in, Luke, in John eight fifty nine 59, they, they picked up stones to, to throw at Him, to try to kill Him. But Jesus hid Himself and went out of the temple. John 10, 30 through 33, Jesus says this, I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones to stone him again. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you now going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. The Jewish people and the Jewish leaders knew exactly what Jesus was saying about Himself. There was no confusion. There was no misunderstanding. Now, uh, Julie and I have a a now six-year-old boy, turned six on Friday, Judah, where when we communicate with him, um, there's often a lot of confusion and misunderstanding. Uh, He's a very literal kid. Um, A couple weeks ago. Uh, we were uh, down in our Kazanovia congregation, and uh, Julie was rehearsing. We were there early. She was singing, and uh, Judah was running around. He's up on the stage, and Julie needed to check something on her phone. And so she asked Judah, Judah, can you get my phone out of my purse, please? A few minutes go by. Judah's back on the stage next to her. Julie asked, Judah, where's my phone? He says, it's right next to your purse. <laughs> and she looked at him. She's like, well, can you bring me the phone? Like, bring me the phone. And he looks at her like, okay, why didn't you just say so? <laughs> uh, a couple weeks ago, we were getting ready to leave the house, and uh, I said, five to ten minutes, we need to turn the TV off. And Judah quickly says, ten minutes. It's like, it, was, it, was, it wasn't a, it was a range. It wasn't like a either-or situation. He just kind of looks at you again like, why didn't you say so? A lot of misunderstanding and confusion. But, but Jesus, when he's communicating these things about himself, he knew exactly what he was saying. He understood the culture. He knew the Word of God. He knew how they would hear it. It was intentional. Jesus was understood in exactly the way that He intended to be understood. On this point, uh, famed evangelist Billy Graham says, Jesus was not just another great religious teacher, nor was He only another in a long line of individuals seeking after spiritual truth, He was instead truth itself. He was God incarnate. Several other New Testament passages that point to the fact that Jesus is truly God. A few examples illustrate this point. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, Jesus is referred to as Emmanuel, which means God with us. Thomas and John 20, 28 says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Romans 9, 5, Paul speaks of the Christ who is God over all. Blessed forever, amen. Titus 2.13 refers to our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus 3.4 calls Jesus God, our Savior. 1 John 5.20 says that Jesus Christ is the true God. And then there's two titles that Jesus um, names, titles that are ascribed to Jesus that are very common in the New Testament. Son of God and Son of Man. Let's start first with the title, Son of Man. Jesus' favorite title to refer to himself, he uses it some 80 times in the New Testament. If you were with us as we studied the book of Mark, we saw that title a ton. Son of Man is a reference to the book of Daniel. The prophet Daniel wrote that some 600 years before Christ came to walk on the earth. And in this prophetic vision, uh, Daniel sees God the Father... The ancient of days, sitting enthroned in blazing majesty and glory. He's surrounded by his heavenly court. And uh, in this vision, there is one like a son of man, is the phrase that it uses, And he's on the clouds of heaven. He's coming towards the Ancient of Days, the Glorious One. And he he seems to be using those clouds as a triumphal chariot. And as he approaches the majesty on high, he, he comes to the throne to be exalted. And he receives from the Most High all authority in heaven and on earth. This is, of course, Jesus Christ. And so when he employed that term, this was the image that he was intending to conjure up in the minds of his listeners. And as the Son of Man, Jesus is to be exalted as God over all peoples, nations, cultures, and religions, to be worshipped as God. The eternal king. As we consider Christ as truly God, I mean, we have these truths. That Jesus Christ is fully and completely God. And then this truth that we'll consider next week. That Jesus is fully and completely human. And Jesus is fully and completely, united in one person. And so when we emphasize His deity... We can't allow Christ's humanity to to suffer, the the distinctiveness of that. We don't want to exalt His deity and limit His humanity, nor do we want to exalt His humanity and limit His deity. Those are the the guardrails. Those are the boundaries that the Scriptures give us. And when we go out of those, intentionally or not, we start to, to leave the realm of Christian orthodoxy and subtly begin to move into heresy. And Jesus Christ is is truly God, and, and we see that with that title, Son of Man, and we see it from the title, Son of God. As he is, receives the title, Son of God, as he claims to be that, he, he's claiming the same essence as God. John Piper helpfully puts it this way. He says, so when we say that Jesus is the Son of God, we mean that God has begotten His Son in His very same divine nature. Nothing less from all eternity. Begetting is a metaphor, a picture that tries to hold two truths together. One, God the Father is not God the Son, and God the Son is not God the Father. They are distinct persons, distinct centers of consciousness, and can relate to each other. But, two, the Father and the Son are one God, not two gods, one essence, one divine nature from all eternity without any beginning. The Father has always had a perfect image of Himself and a divine reflection or radiance equal to himself, namely the Son. Jesus Christ is truly God, and we see this from the names and the titles that He prescribes to Himself and that others prescribe to Him. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to quote Revelation 22:13. Divine names attributed to Christ. And then some of the divine attributes that are ascribed to Christ as well. Still considering those first two verses of John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Uh, We see one of those attributes is Christ's eternality. He was in the beginning with God. In the beginning was the Word that He has always uh, existed, eternity never ends, uh, it never begins, and God's duration is endless, and His essence is boundless. I mean, just consider Christ's uh, his eternality for a moment, that attribute. And you think about eternity too much, like it makes your head start to cave in. Like, you can try to pick up every grain of sand from every beach in the world, and once you've accomplished that task, eternity is just beginning. Like, those type of thoughts you can, we can look at Christ's omnipresence. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, this is Matthew 28, Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We can consider His omnipotence. Same Great Commission as one example. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, um, how does that couple with the fact that He was fully and completely human? God incarnate came to walk the earth. Those are some things we'll consider next week, but we have to uphold both. We can consider Christ's immutability, the fact that He doesn't change in an ever-changing world, ever-changing technology. I mean, things are rapidly changing all the time. Just consider it. It's changing. Christ's immutability, His essence, not changing, is a great source of comfort for those of us who are in Christ. And we just have to consider how... Christmas decorations in America has changed over the last 40 years to just see this, this change. I got a picture of some Christmas decorations from the 1970s. I don't know if you can see that. There you go. Um, some of you, your decorations still look like that, and that's okay. It's a great era. Uh, fast forward 20 years. Look at the 90s. How about that? Full house owned the 90s. Everyone was talking about Full House. It was the sitcom of all sitcoms. So that's what Christmas looked like apparently in the 90s. And then 2019, let's look at that. That's right, two Christmas trees because that's how rapid uh, materialism has grown in the last 40 years. One, I don't even know if they're called Christmas trees in the culture. Two trees um, for most households now. It's a little silly way to just show things are changing all the time, but Christ, immutable, immutable. His essence, character, doesn't change. His omniscience, John 2 says that he knew what was in the heart of man. And then just this catch-all verse, like if you want to consider an attribute of God, it's going to fit in this bucket. Colossians 2.9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Divine names attributed to Jesus, the divine attributes ascribed to Jesus, How about the divine works ascribed to Jesus? The things that Jesus did that only God can do. Three things. Creation, forgiveness of sins, resurrection and judgment. Those are things God does. Consider creation for a moment. John 1, 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So first, the first half of that verse, positive. All things were made through him. All things. It's a universal term. You name it, it was made through Him. And then the negative side of it. Without Him was not anything made that was made. All things. Everything. Jesus was a part creating. Now, this also shows us that Jesus Himself wasn't made. He wasn't created because Christ all things were made through Him. Christ was a part of creating things. Before you exist, you don't uh, create yourself into existence. Christ made everything, He's always existed. The forgiveness of sins, it's something God does. It's a divine work. Luke chapter 5, verses 20 and 21 says that when He saw their faith, He said, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Resurrection and judgment. Jesus claimed power to raise the dead, the authority to judge our eternal destiny, the authority to grant eternal life. Jesus Christ is truly God. The fourth one the divine honor. The worship that Jesus receives that is reserved for God alone. Jesus is worshipped as God. Now, the Bible is explicit that only God is to be worshipped. He, God, and God alone is worthy to be praised. And to worship anything or anyone other than God is called idolatry. It's called blasphemy two sins that the Bible detests from beginning to end with the strongest condemnations. And, and therefore, the fact that Jesus accepted worship as God is one of the strongest arguments that Jesus Christ is God, in addition to all the things I've already articulated, and then some, we just don't have time to get into. In Revelation 22, 8 and 9, John, after he'd received these, these visions, um, verse 8 and 9, says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. And two words, worship God. Revelation 5, the Lamb who was slain, Jesus. You have all creation worshiping Jesus. Hebrews 1 talks about angels worshiping Jesus. Jesus commands His followers. I've already pointed to it. In the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2, 10 and 11, Paul declares, one day everyone will bend the knee in subjection to Jesus, and they will lift their voices in worship to Jesus as Lord. Okay. So Jesus Christ is truly God. So what? Well, therefore, we, those of us who are made in the image of God, and those of us who are in Christ, Are called to worship Jesus as truly God, the light and the life of men. John one four and five says this about the word. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This picture of darkness in the Bible, it conjures up images of of sorrow and terror and extreme danger and of deep, deep distress. And the New Testament presents the whole world, all of humankind living apart from Christ as living in darkness, living in that deep, deep distress, that sorrow, that danger, that, that terror. And it pictures the wrath of God coming forth. That's what the, the source of the terror is. That's what the source of the distress is, that the wrath of God is, is coming forward to all mankind who are apart from Christ, um, like this, this massive tsunami wave, like uh, like the shadow of death. Like I used to live in Florida. And so um, if you've ever seen those uh, hurricane tracks, you know, that big cone, and picture that as the darkness and it and envelops all of Florida. You know, imagine a, a Category 5 hurricane is just barreling towards you and it's not gonna wobble. It's not gonna move. I mean, it is direct hit. You're right in the center of it. You know it's coming. And as that Category 5 hurricane just, just barrels towards you, you're living in the shadow of darkness, the shadow of that threat, and when it finally makes its direct hit, I mean, the storm surge comes and the water comes up to your knees and then and maybe you, you go to a, a building and get uh, elevation somewhere, but the storm surge will even envelop that. There's, there's no way of safety and protection when you stand in the direct threat that Category 5 hurricane. That's the picture of living in darkness. That's what John 1, 4 and 5 says. I mean, the, the light shines in the darkness. Why is that good news? Because Christ came to shine light in that darkness. He's the life to protect us, to rescue us, to save us the righteous wrath of god the due punishment of our sin i mean that's part of the joy of christmas jesus comes into this dark world and brings hope to humankind who's in desperate need of hope the bible constantly calls us forward to to look to a future where there's no more of that darkness, no more pain, no more tears, no more disease, no more evil. A a new world where, where love and peace and joy and righteousness reigns, and that God is honored as He should be. That world is often called the kingdom of heaven, and John 1 is talking about how that kingdom of heaven, it's dawned. When Christ came to earth, it it dawned in the incarnation. Now, the sun won't reach its, its high point, its zenith, until Christ returns. But you can say that that hope dawned when Christ came to earth. And now there is light and life in the darkness. Summed up in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And Jesus Christ had to be truly God, in order to be the light and life of our salvation. Only someone who is fully and completely God could bear our full penalty for our sins and the sins of all of those who would believe in Him. Any finite creature or any human alone would have been incapable of bearing that penalty. Salvation is from the Lord. And only someone who is fully and completely God, fully and completely man, fully and completely united in one person could be the mediator, as 1 Timothy 2 says, between God and man, both to reconcile us, to bring us back to God, and reveal God most fully to us. So my prayer is that we who are in Christ, I mean, we would see Jesus for who He really is. We wouldn't worship a Jesus made in our own image, our own, our own idea of it, or the culture's version of Jesus. But the, the biblical truth as to who Jesus is and the fact that He is truly God is a essential component to that. And as we consider Christ's glory and majesty. May Christ grow bigger and bigger and bigger in our hearts and in our minds. Let's pray.